told you guys that this is a text I've never taught in this church, uh, but I've taught it in Moscow and in London, in Jerusalem, in Baku. <laughs> it's kind of weird. I've taught it everywhere but here. The first time I ever heard this text preached was by a, a friend named Wayne Barber. That's actually in my mom's church. And uh, two years ago, he died at the Cove. It's uh, Billy Graham's place near Asheville, North Carolina. The last message he gave was this text. So uh, it means more and more to me. So what I want to do is make it a little different this time. Instead of reading a text and praying, I would ask that you bow your heads and listen to what is said. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, that he would grant to you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in the inner man, in order that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, in order that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth, and to know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge, in order that you may be filled up with all of the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all we can ask or think, according to the power that works within us. To Him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus in all generations, forever and ever. Pretty much sums it up if you think about it. The Apostle Paul has shown me distinctly in my study of this book over these stretch of time, and when you teach, then you bow your knee. When you share, then you bow your knee. I think that is neglected in the body of Christ, uh, more so in America probably than I've seen in some of the other countries that I've had the privilege to share in. But I think that we have missed prayer but I think that was a uh, decision of the accuser for us to miss it. Because if you're really honest with yourselves, which of us can change the soul of a man? Even if you share the truth of the gospel, you can't do it. And yet... God has asked us to pray. I shared with you last week as I was moving into this, this is actually a, a picking up of verse 1 of chapter 3. For this reason. So you have to say, well, what is this reason? Well, you can't go back to verse 13 because he started to pray, for this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles. That's verse 1 of chapter 3. So, for this reason, in whom you also being built together, together as a dwelling of God 
of the Spirit. That reason, that reason, that Christ is the chief cornerstone, that you and I in the body of Christ are a holy temple, that we have access in one Spirit to the Father. We are no longer strangers and aliens. We are fellow citizens, the saints. We are one household. That reason. That reason. When I started into this, it dawned on me as I was going through it and studying it and praying and wrestling that there are too many in the body of Christ who understand what they're supposed to be doing. But they don't ever pay attention to what they are in Christ. Therefore, I liken it to having the most high-performance car you could ever produce. And you take it out on the road and you push it. Instead of turning it on. This miraculously high-performance machine that is a saint... How many are using their own strength when the whole time God is there? I read through this and I look at this prayer. This is the second one of the Apostle Paul. The first was in chapter 1. And I think this is one of the things that are missing. Okay? And I, it's going to be difficult for me because I want to keep in the context of the letter. But I believe that what you, you and I are experiencing is he's wanting to show us, you and me. This is how you pray. This is how you pray. This here is a biblical prayer. Well, yeah, that's the Bible. No. If you look at this. The thing that just jumps right at you is that there is a theological foundation in this prayer. Think about our prayers. How many of us pray theologically? Paulus tells us in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 17, we are to what? Pray without ceasing. But do you understand that it should always be on a theological foundation? It should be based on what you know to be true in the Word of God. That is a theological foundation. Okay, listen, you can be an infant in Christ, but there's got to be something that you know is true in the Word of God. Make that the foundation of your prayer and move off of that. That is where you offer your prayers to God. Off of Bedrock theology. Paul says here, I bow my knee unto the Father. Now you understand that for a man like the Apostle Paul to say that, do you understand how absurd that would be? He was a Pharisee. He was of the tribe of Benjamin. To call God... Father? His name in the Old Testament is Yahweh, but they said that's so holy, we'll make up a term. And we call him Jehovah. We can't even say his name. 
We can't even say His name. Such majesty, so thrilling, so grand, so eternal, such an exalted King of glory. And we call Him Father. Okay, now, there's a reason using the term Father. Okay? I think that we miss this. No? I know that we miss this. See, using the term Father brings to a complete focus the acceptance of God. When we come to Him in prayer, we come to Him as Father. We don't come thinking that He's indifferent. We don't come... Have you ever heard this? We'll throw up a prayer and hope something sticks. That ain't your Father. He's not a distant deity. We don't come in prayer to a deity that needs to be appeased before we pray. That's paganism. We come in prayer to a tender, concerned, loving, compassionate, accepting Father. Abba in Romans 8. Daddy. Literally, if you really are honest with Scripture, God waits with anticipation in His heart for the moment that we enter into His presence so He can eagerly embrace us. That's prayer. That's why the Apostle Paul uses the word Father. Father brings forth the view, a place of acceptance. A father is compassion on his children. A father shows tenderness to his children. Even when they're not heads. A father shows concern for his children. Let me try to help you here for a second. Try this from a humanly speaking foundation. Think in your mind now the best father that could ever be. Okay? The finest. He would accept his children into his presence on all occasions, at all times. He would be the most loving father. He would be the most generous father. He would be the most compassionate father. He would be a tender father. Now then, as you're thinking of this man, when you have this image in your head of this individual and his acceptance of his children. They would never be a burden. They would never be not enough time for them. They would always be there to help them with their wounds, their heartaches, celebrating their joys and their victories. Imagine that perfect father. Do you realize not that person is not one trillionth of how God accepts us? doesn't hold anything in comparison. That is the kind of father that he is. 
When Paul goes into God's presence, now think about this. When Paul goes into God's presence, he goes in and he sees God as his Father. Knowing that he's accepted. Not only knowing he's accepted, knowing that he's being anticipated to arrive. Verse 12, he says, we have this boldness and confidence. Access through faith in him. Now you know why he has boldness and confidence? That's my father. He is waiting for me. He's anticipating me. He is yearning for me to come into his presence. Now then, change your focus on your prayer. Go to prayer saying, he wants me in here. He wants to hear me. He wants me to pour it out right there. And do it with boldness and confidence because it is your Father who is in heaven. That made the Apostle Paul eager. He was not coming in fearful. He knows the Father is waiting. How do you think of your prayer life? Is it like this? What I just described? Have you ever thought of your prayer life as an opportunity for you to fulfill the desires that God has had all the while waiting for you to come rushing into His presence? If not, (laughs) you should. He wants that. God has defined himself as a father. He is defined as love, so he is a loving father. Romans 8 says he has given us the spirit that we may call him Abba. Now, I don't know about you, that seems extremely personal. Paul comes to pray. He comes to one who is a father. That is an intimate sense. That's family. Your father knows when you hurt. Your father knows when you're happy. Your father knows your celebration. Your father knows your heartache. Your father knows your pain. Your father knows your burdens. And he eagerly waits to receive you. Paul comes to pray to one who is a father. What do we go to such a merciful, loving, enduring father and pray? What do you pray when you go in to God? I mean, I've shared with you guys before. I remember seeing a picture years ago in Life magazine and. uh, President Kennedy was sitting at that desk in the Oval Office, okay? And down on the, the bottom of it, there's a little door, and that door's open, and John John's crawling out from under it. And I thought, well, <laughs> there you go, let's crawl around into the President's desk. But to John John, that was Daddy. Now then, Add infinity to it. And that's what your relationship with God is. 
every one of us, what do I go in there and I ask him for? What do you pray for? As a pastor, I get people ask me to pray for all kinds of things all the time. Pray for this. What do we pray for? Remember what I said. That is a theologically based prayer. What does the Apostle Paul pray for? I can tell you. What does Paul always pray for? That he has boldness and confidence and access of faith through him. What does he pray when he shows up in the presence of the Father with eagerness? What does he pray? Well, I went back through all of his prayers and I was kind of shocked. Um, He always has the same stuff on his mind. And you know what? It is a lot different than many of us. You never find Paul, with the exception of exercising the gift of healing, praying for physical needs. One time, he prayed for a thorn in his flesh to be removed. He prayed three times. You know what? He didn't get what he asked for. But in the process of that prayer, he realized he was having his these he was having these physical problems so that God had a spiritual end in mind that my grace would be sufficient. But when Paul comes running into the presence of God, That's the way I'm viewing prayer now. I'm running into the presence of God. It's not the physical that is on the apostle's heart. Because if you really want to think about it, let's really be honest right now. The physical doesn't really matter. What's the difference? What happens to the body? I was thinking about Lazarus. Poor Lazarus. I think about him. I think it was last night. Jesus calls him out of the grave. Lazarus, come forth. He comes walking out. You know what's a drag about that? He still has to die. Listen... Think about what the Apostle Paul says. Okay, people say, well, what about the physical? What are, you know, we got this kind of, you know, my wife just had surgery. I had some guy harpoon me in the eye and all these other weird things. But, you know, and everybody said, well, it was just a needle. Not when it's sticking in your eye. <laughs> Thing looks like it's that big around. Okay. You go through this and you say, well, look at the physical. But ask yourself, what does Paul mean when he says, for me to live is Christ, to die is... Did you get that? 
We don't need to be preoccupied with the temporal. You know, the church right now, this church is struggling. What are we preoccupied with? Ask yourself the simple question. Don't you hate it when he does that? What are you struggling with? You're looking at the temporal effect. I know it's a spiritual problem. It ain't got nothing to do with the temporal. It does have to do with the spiritual. Why are the first two and a half chapters of this book dealing with our identity in Christ? And then he concludes it with pray. Then he tells us how that's all going to look in 4, 5, and 6. Paul rushes into the throne of the Father. He is concerned with the spiritual. Why? That is the need of the greater miracle. The greater miracle. I know a man, many years ago, he's lived for the, uh, I think, 26 years, last 26 years, just outside of Jerusalem, running a, uh, a college campus that studies the New and the Old Testament uh, right there. He's been there for, I think, 26 years, 26 years. I know where he graduated from seminary. I know the church that he attended. I know who the church was that was holding him accountable. This year, guess what? This spring, guess what he decided? 26 years, living in Israel, graduated from the master's uh, seminary, went to Grace Community Church, was an elder on Grace Community Church's board. This year he decided Jesus Christ was not deity. How did that happen? I can tell you how it happened. He knows what this book says. He's walked around. He's been on all the archaeological finds and all the digs and all the rest of it. But you know what he never did do? Plug into the power source of the reality of who he is in Christ. He never hooked that up. The greater miracle is when you have spiritual reformation. Every prayer Paul prayed while a prisoner of the mystery was a prayer for other spiritual welfare. He wanted them to grow spiritually. Now, I want you to remind you of something. Where's he at when this is written? He's in prison, right? He's awaiting a trial that he doesn't know what the outcome's going to be. Now, listen, I don't know about you. If I'm in chains and I'm only in chains because of my preaching of the gospel... It seems like that would be a good time to pray for yourself. Right? But you don't hear that from Paul. Let me show you. Philippians chapter 1, verse 9. I want to show you Paul praying. Guess where he's at when he writes this one? It's prison. Here's what he says. And this I pray. That your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and all discernment. So that you may approve the things that are excellent in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ. Having been filled with the fruit of righteousness which comes from Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Anybody ever prayed that? 
I pray that you be filled with the fruit of righteousness to the glory of God. Have you ever prayed that for yourself? Have you ever prayed, hey, that I would have more real knowledge and discernment? Have you ever prayed, may I approve for that things that are excellent? Have you ever prayed, I may be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ? I'll try this one. Colossians chapter 1, verse 9. For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please Him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Strength with all power according to His glorious might for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience, joyously giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. That's pretty good if you think about it. Think about our prayers, brothers and sisters. How much of it are we praying for the temporal and how much are we praying for the spiritual? Ever thought about that? That's amazing to me. That's amazing to me. Paul was preoccupied with the people's spiritual lives. Knowledge, wisdom, insight, fruit, patience, steadfastness in the faith. That kind of stuff. Grow in these things. Peter says, excel in these things. All spiritual deepening. Your understanding becomes deeper. Your wisdom becomes deeper. Your insight becomes deeper. That only happens through the power of prayer. That's why when you get to Ephesians chapter 3, he concludes it with what? An amazing prayer. Paul understood emphatically, probably better than anybody ever, that the major issue is not the outer man. The outer man is dying. It is dying all of the time. And yet the inner man is renewed every day. So Paul prays for what? The inner man. Wisdom and knowledge. Now listen. I'm going to close with a prayer. I'm going to close with one of Paul's. Okay? But i got to ask you a question. This should convict every one of us. I know what I get asked to pray for on a regular basis. Listen, there ain't no law against praying for temporal. Okay? There ain't no law against that. But I'm going to ask you a simple, simple question from my perspective. Which one do you pray the most for? Let me close with this prayer. Please bow your heads.
For this reason, I too, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus, which exists among you, and your love for all of the saints, do not cease giving thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him. I pray that the eyes of your heart might be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of His calling, what are the riches of the glory of His inheritance, and what is the surpassing greatness of His power towards us who believe. These are in accordance to the working of the strength of His might which he has brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him to the right hand in heavenly places. Amen.